What time? 11 a.m. Let's go. Get your butt out of bed, and let's have a great Sunday next time. Let's really host folks. Uh, as you see folks you do not know, uh, just love on them, right? And just welcome them as, as they come in next week. I think it'll be great. All right. Well, church, man, it has been a brutal uh, season with all this violence that is just going nuts all around us and all these shootings. And everybody's got an opinion, and, and everybody should. I mean, we've got to jump in and figure this out. And, you know, um, what's, what's been sad to me is to see everybody in this last one with these elementary school kids just jump right to their political party, right and left, and hold on and just dig in deep again. And as I'm sort of watching it, I'm just seeing inconsistencies on the right and inconsistencies on the left. You know, when you really worship something other than Jesus, you start to lose wisdom and common sense. There's just some common sense that is being lost in the discussions as folks are worshiping a political party and a political stance. And listen, I have opinions. I'm sure you all have opinions. I don't like to give specific political opinions from the pulpit because it's just the pastor saying it. I like to have dialogue. I actually like to, to be able to hear your thoughts on what I say, to disagree with me, let me disagree with you. I think fundamentally, one of the problems in America is that we are worshiping our politics. It's, as a Christian, it is wrong for us to disengage politically. Jesus is about saving us holistically, not just in our souls. We need to engage to build a society that is whole and healthy. Right? We are to engage, but we engage worshiping the kingdom of God. Engagement is different than worship. See, if you think that you're just going to grab onto one political side and you are just going to beat down the other side until they agree, it's just going to be bloody, y'all. I mean, y'all know we live in a very diverse country with a lot of different opinions. We need Christians to be able to go in with wisdom and compassion to be bridge builders and to learn how to build compromise, to learn how to build common sense solutions, right? To learn how to work together and take away this idolatry of politics that demonizes the other side. Um, or else we have no hope at all. And so what I'm offering is if folks want to talk to me after church today, I will give you my specific opinions on the whole gun control stuff and things like that. I'm, I'm not afraid to do that. But I would hope that we could have a church here where people can disagree with some politics but do it in the peace and love of Jesus and agree that we're trying to figure out God's heart for our country and for our cities, and we're in that together. Can I get an amen on that one? All right, let, let's, let's, let's go after that together. Um, uh, we need to figure things out together. That's why I'm very grateful that folks are putting on this uh, local election thing on Thursday. One of the idolatries is, uh, we have today is a national politics, and nobody gives a rip about what's going on right in our city. And so many decisions get made that affect the day-to-day -day lives of us in the city. And so we need, as Christians, again, to model, like, we're going to engage on all the levels, but particularly in our own backyard. And like Teresa was saying, we've got some folks that have done a lot of work for us that, that beat to the same heartbeat we beat to. So you can hear their thoughts and, of course, disagree, but at least you can get some information to really... Um, compel you into engagement in the, in the city. Well, in the midst of all of this horrendous thing, I particularly, 
I mean, everybody feels it on so many levels. Like, I cannot even imagine what these families are going through. I mean, that's just the worst nightmare. Take my life before my children's, right? That's what every parent would say. Uh, take my life before my children's. But I also am feeling on a level, I have a, a wife who's a teacher. And this shooting has just brought this level of like, what, now schools are going to become a target for, right? And we need to back up teachers in the midst of a little bit of anxiety uh, that, that, right, uh, as, they, as they are stepping into loving our kids every day. And in the midst of this, we've got so many different things. We've got to come back right to the center, and we've got to remind ourselves that Jesus is alive and his spirit is always among us. Even in the midst of great tragedies, Jesus is alive and his spirit is always among us. The spirit of Jesus is always pursuing us. The spirit of Jesus is always accessible to those who will believe and receive. Always. And the spirit of Jesus, we have been learning all year in the scripture, it comes to comfort us, to encourage us, and to strengthen us. So one thing I can confidently say in front of you all is that when tragedies happen, if you deal with the strategy by just doing this on your phone and just get into the social media craziness and the news anger, and that's all you do, and you numb out or you anger out that way, you are losing the spirit of Jesus. It is right to engage. You know me, you, you've heard, I am not a news guy this year. I've been fasting from it. I engage in the news. You got to learn what's going on. But then you got to realize what's going on in your heart, and you got to stop, and you got to go and receive the spirit of Jesus. We've got to grieve with the spirit of Jesus. We've got to grieve and talk and pray with each other. I've been doing that with folks all week. Talking it out, figuring it out face to face to go after the spirit of Jesus. And as he encourages us and he comforts us, his promise, and I think it's one of the most incredible promises of Jesus, is that his spirit, as we engage with it, will fundamentally change who we are. Fundamentally, it will change our instincts our reactions, our abilities to endure difficult things, meaning like over time, this is over time, the promise is we will be fundamentally changed as people. And, and we, we, will, we will become people who are still tempted into sin, but we will not be overcome by that temptation. We will become people who start to, our passions start to, to feel for the things of God, we start to get a greater taste for the things of God, and we start to get more of a distaste for the things that are, are sinful. That is the picture of regeneration. Somebody say regeneration. Mm, I love that word. That is the promise of Jesus, right? If the world was a grocery store, then before Jesus, before we encounter his spirit and his love, we are all stuck as styrofoam cups and plates on that aisle. And I'm talking... I'm talking the worst of the styrofoam. You know what I mean? There's different qualities. You go in some of those stores, and that styrofoam, that thing chips off like it's easy. They're just, it's bendable. It's, you know what I mean? It's bland. That's who we are. But as we endure, or, or maybe another one is like the canned vegetables aisle. I mean, that's so sad. If you're a vegetable and you're stuck in a can, you're just wilted. Your time is long gone. You know what I mean? Oh, man. Uh, I grew up with canned vegetables, and then I married a Chinese-American woman, and they cooked raw vegetables really good. And I was like, dang, no wonder why I hated vegetables growing up. Bunch of wilted, nasty stuff in a can, you know what I'm saying? Uh, that's where our life starts, styrofoam cup, wilted canned vegetables. And if we endure in the spirit of Jesus, 
The promise is, is we are literally being regenerated over time and end up the sweetest strawberries you can imagine. Now, we're not all the same. Some of us are sweet mangoes. Some of us are pineapples. Some of us are watermelons. Some of us are, oh man, there's those juicy, crisp apples. I don't know what they're called, but dang, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I'm, honey crisp, thank you. Number one apple on the shelf. Right? This is what happens, man. We get regenerated. We start to have color and life. Right? Some of you right now are probably like, I hate fruit, man. I, if I'm a styrofoam cup and I can get regenerated, I want to regenerate into chocolate cake. Or give me some cookies and cream ice cream. Okay, you know what? And that's fine. If you want to be your nasty chocolate cake self, you go ahead. All right? Whatever it is that just put the picture in your mind, you're a styrofoam cup and the Lord is going to, you want to give diabetes to people, that's no, all right, whatever. I love sweet strawberries and honey crisp apples. That's what I want to be regenerated into. You know what I'm saying? Uh, today, I'm going to ask you to reject the lies that you're never going to change. I'm going to ask you to open your mind to the scripture that will guide you into how to change into that sweet strawberry or that perfect steak that you want to be. Here we go. Uh, Galatians chapter 6. Please stand if you're able to honor the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Dear brothers and sisters, if, another, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your scripture. We need your word. Come and feed us. This is your word with your spirit. Come and take away casualness and apathy. Let us take in your word that we may be changed by it. We love you and we are ready to follow you. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. There's so much gold in these verses. This is immediate this is immediate text after the text that Pastor Dave took, to, took us through last week. It all goes together. It's one large teaching. The section of thought started in chapter 5, verse 14 with, For the whole law of God can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But then what Paul is breaking down for us is that we are too corrupt and evil to obey that command. We cannot love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Sometimes we can't even love ourselves. We're supposed to love ourselves. And he, he is then working together from chapter 5, verse 14, all the way to chapter 6, verses 10, to weave and integrate three main factors that work together to regenerate us 
into those sweet strawberries that can love our neighbor as ourselves. The three main factors, or if you want, those of you math folks, that gives me shudder just saying math. I hated math. But those of you, the equation of transformation is the spirit of Jesus, our effort, and Jesus-centered friends. If you want to be fundamentally changed, three things are needed all at the same time. The spirit of Jesus, our effort, and Jesus-centered friends. Here we go. First, the spirit of Jesus. We talked a lot about this last week. If you're not here, I encourage you to find that teaching on our YouTube channel. But essentially, the spirit of Jesus is the power of God. It is at war with the, uh, the scripture says, our flesh. Another way to say it is our sinful nature. Our sinful nature, we are born complicated people. There are things about us that are made in the image of God, but so much of who we are at our nature is corrupted, and it's evil, and it's broken. And so the Spirit of God then is able to come in, and when it comes in, it's a war to overcome the power of our sinful nature. In uh, chapter 5, verse 19, we get some examples of this corrupted nature. Sexual desires, desires for revenge, for violence, division, jealousy, selfish ambition, and it goes on and on. Uh, we don't have enough power within ourselves to root those desires out of us or to overcome their control over us. In fact, we often give up fighting the war because it's just too hard, and so we start to justify just living in those desires and making them our identity. Or as chapter 5.19 says, we start following the desires, letting the desires be our guide. Most natural desires are horrible masters and will continually lead us into chaos in our minds and our souls and in our relationships. So instead, we surrender on the daily. We surrender to that grace-filled, loving, powerful spirit of Jesus, believing that it's only the power of the spirit that can regenerate us, can root those desires out, overcome that. And so we are, this then leads to the second factor in the regeneration effort. Spirit of Jesus is first. The second one is our own effort. We are commanded by Jesus to take ownership of our own journey of transformation. We have been created to have our own agency to participate and help shape who we are going to become. Chapter uh, 6, verse 4 tells us clearly in a different translation, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you'll get the satisfaction of a job well done. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. Verse 7 says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature, but those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. Church, this is real talk from the Bible. This isn't parables. This isn't confusing sort of ancient, you know, stuff that we have to decipher. This is real talk. God will not be mocked. What you sow is what you harvest. You put seeds into your life that are going to grow an apple tree, you're going to get an apple tree. You put seeds in your life, right? You put seeds in your life, they're going to grow. Whatever you put, that's what you're going, whatever you put your energy to, what's going to harvest. What you do with your life affects what kind of life you live and the person you become. And if you believe the religion of today, that what you desire is what you deserve, then your life becomes centered around your desires, that you should make your life purpose satisfying those desires, then you're going to harvest the destruction that those desires bring. 
But if you put your energies toward the Spirit, sowing into the things of the Spirit of Jesus, then you will harvest over time a regenerated self. You will be regenerated into the likeness of Jesus, and you'll finally have the riches of the kingdom life, joy, peace, patience, self-control, sacrificial love, and on and on. Real talk. God won't be mocked. Our salvation, people hate when I say this, and, and especially in America, our salvation from our sinful nature into the life of God, both now and eternally, it is conditional. It is not earned, but it is conditional. Now, before you start stoning me, some of you theologians hear me out. Ephesians 2.8 says, we are saved by grace, pastor. Amen. Completely. We don't earn a thing, but the sentence keeps going. It says, we are saved by grace through faith. Through faith. Faith in the Bible is a real living participatory effort. It's not just belief up here in the brain. Faith in the Bible demands our participation and our obedience. Let me try to make sense out of this. Right? Jesus says it very clearly in Matthew chapter 6. If you do not forgive those who hurt you, God will not forgive you. That's a conditional statement. There's no parable there. He says in Luke chapter 16, you can only serve two masters, either money and wealth or God. And here's exactly how you serve money and wealth, and here's how you serve God. You just, there's condition there. You're going to have one master. And right here in Galatians 6, he says, God won't be mocked. Whatever you do with your life, whatever you do, that's what you're going to harvest. Right? But pastor, what about grace? What about grace, pastor? Yes, it's all about grace. Right? It's all about grace. Jesus, grace is this. Grace is the love of God when Jesus says, God, let the sun shine on the wicked and the righteous. Grace is the fact that every single time you come to Jesus with sin, he forgives you. Every single time. There is no amount of sin or mistakes, no amount of bad sowing that cannot receive the forgiveness of Jesus. That's the grace. But that same spirit of Jesus that forgives at the same time calls us into an effort and a participation into our a regeneration. One of the reasons why American Christians get stuck in this is because they get too obsessed with systems of theology instead of obsessed with trying to master the whole Bible and let it master them for the course of their lifetime. See, some people get so stuck in the sovereignty of God, which is so true, it's biblical, but they get so stuck in that, they worship that system, that they just believe that life with Jesus, that God controls every single thing of my life, from every movement of my finger and every little thought, God controls it, I'm a puppet, so I just got to sit around in my spiritual lazy boy and let God do what he wants to do with my life. See, the scripture is clear that God is in charge. God is sovereign, and you know what? He can control you like a puppet if he wanted to. But in his sovereignty, he has chosen to actually call you into participation and have your choices affect your life. He wants a real relationship with you. He wants to grow you up into maturity, into who he is. So for God to call us into, to participate in our regeneration is like a doctor working with a very sick patient. We have the agency to follow the doctor's instructions or not. Right, so, and if we do follow his instructions, we will be healed. But no patient at the end of that journey is going to stand and say, 
I am the only one that healed myself. I earned this. We're a sick patient. We didn't know what the heck we were doing. We needed the doctor to tell us what to do, and we just had to do what the doctor said. The doctor gets the glory. The doctor the one did all the work. The doctor the one studied everything. The doctor knows exactly what's going on. We just took a pill. See, as Dallas Willard says, some Christians believe that as long as they believe that Jesus is God and the Savior of their sins, and they pray that belief, and they show up to church every once in a while just so, you know, they've got a little bit of integrity about that belief, it doesn't matter how they live their life. It doesn't matter what they do with their sexual desires. It doesn't matter what they do with their money. It doesn't matter what they do with the enemies in their life. It doesn't matter what they do with racial differences that God puts around. It doesn't matter because they believe the same thing that the devil believes. And they, they have this belief, some Christians, that it's like, it doesn't matter as long as I believe it. If I'm a canned vegetable and I never want to change out of being a canned vegetable, well, you know what? I believe it. So at the end of time, when it's time for that judgment, I'm just going to put a sticker on me that says I'm a sweet strawberry. And God's going to run me through that judgment scanner, and I'm going to be fine because I believe, you know, that he's Jesus. God is not going to be mocked. You could try all day you want, like, yeah, you're God, you're God. But if you live like you are your own God and you justify it, well, I've been through all this, that's why I act like this. Guess what? At the end of time, if you're still a canned vegetable, you're going to be treated like a canned vegetable. That's the power of Scripture. That's the truth of God. He will not be mocked. Now, there are some who are driven to be holy and perfect. They put all this energy into it, and they end up like Pharisees. They're judging lazy sinners, right? They, they believe they have to be perfect to be in heaven. That, that is a whole nother sermon, right? We do not have any power to earn our regeneration. We just participate. Think of it like this when you want to think about the relationship between grace and our effort. What does Galatians 6 say? What you sow is what you harvest, right? So you put a little seed in the ground, and you've got to weed that garden every once in a while. But God brings the sun, God brings the water, and then he brings a fruit tree. You have put a tiny little seed in the ground, and God has de 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 transformed it into a fruit tree. You didn't do nothing. You just watered a little bit, and you weeded a little ground, and you just waited. Oh, our effort, no matter how good we try to be, it's just a little seed. It's... Our efforts are never in proportion to what we receive from God. That's grace. He gives us a hundred times the effort that we put in. But he's saying, you just got to give us some effort. You're a real, you're my son, you're my daughter. Give some effort. At the end of our lives, nobody is going to be able to say, I didn't do nothing and I was changed by Jesus. I just sat in that spiritual lazy boy and I'm the sweet strawberry now. Ain't nobody going to be able to say that. And at the same time, nobody's going to be able to say, I did it all. Praise Chris. Look at what I did to change my life. You ain't going to be able to say those two things, right? This gets us. Our effort is essential. Some of us have to be woken up. Yes, we act out because of so many things that are causing us to act out. But if you try to stand in front of God day after day and say, hey, God, it's just who I am. There's just, it's just who I am. God's saying, Yes, I have compassion for the things that are causing you to act out, but I am giving you access to a spirit that has more power than the things that are causing you to act out. And this then leads us to the third factor. Share each other's burdens, and in this way, obey the law of Christ, the law to love your neighbor as yourself. Share each other's burdens. He says... Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly 
should gently and help, humbly help that person back onto the right path. I love that line. Help a person stuck in sin gently and humbly. Not with judgment or lecture or rebuke. With a great humility knowing that, you know what? Chase is messing up right now. I've got to gently and humbly help him back onto the right path. But I'm going to do it gently and humbly because I bet you in a month he's going to have to help me. And I want him to help me gently and humbly. Can I get an amen for that? Right? So we see that the essential command that we must participate in, that we must act on in order to regenerate our lives is helping others regenerate their lives and receiving their help to regenerate our lives. We cannot transform with only the spirit of Jesus and our own effort. The Lord has set that up. We need the third factor, which is we need Christian friends with the spirit of Jesus and our own effort. It means I can't live the best life in God without y'all. I can't overcome all the sin and temptation in my life without y'all. I can't win that war between my sinful nature and the spirit of Jesus without y'all. I need to help carry your burdens. I need you to help carry mine. I need help in processing my pain and dealing with it in the right way. I need help to pray into the spirit. I need that gentle and humble challenge to help get me out of sinful living and into right living with Jesus. Jesus-centered friendships are essential for us to change. One of, you know, one of my friends for over 25 years, we meet every two weeks. And all we do, we have a meeting every two weeks, and we simply take turns and we confess sin. We confess ways where the sinful nature is corrupting our lives, and we pray uh, for the spirit of Jesus to overcome and help each other. We minister the grace and forgiveness of Jesus to each other. We encourage each other to get back on the path. But, right, that is crucial. It's essential for me. But then there's just the weekly meetings with all of you and my friendships with so many of you. How many times have I been in a meeting and say, hey, can you pray for me? I, the burden that I'm carrying is too strong for me. How many times, week after week after week, I'm able to be deep and vulnerable with you all and I'm able to be helped into transformation and, and not acting out in my stuff because I'm able to, I have friends that know Jesus, that understand that we're at war, that don't tell me, no, Chris, don't worry about that. Just act out on it. You deserve that. But that tell me, yeah, that's right. Let's fight for the life that's worth living, right? I shudder to think what my life would be like without deep friendships with other Jesus-centered people. I literally shudder when I think about if I was just on my own and the only people that I hung out with, we never ever talked about Jesus, I would be a mess of a man. I've shared with you all at times how being a pastor has its struggles. Every vocation, every job has its struggles. There's no such thing as a job without suffering. Can I get an amen for that, right? That's just not going to happen until we cross the other side. We have to help each other endure through the sufferings of our job and not quit. But there are specific sufferings to my job, and one of the big ones is how many burdens that I'm just tempted to carry on my own. You know, as a pastor, when you hear so much pain and people struggling with that sinful nature week in and week out, it's easy to take that on and be anxious. I've had seasons where I just don't sleep very well. Uh, it's sort of that parent anxiety multiplied, you know. But what I need to share with you today is that the grace of being a pastor is that every meeting I have with people is all so deeply encouraging and helpful for me, right? I, I will often come out of a time 
where the time is only focused on the other person. They're sharing their struggles. I'm helping carry their burdens. We're going after the spirit of Jesus for their life. And I come out of the time, and I'm like, dang, Jesus, you were real in that room. And what you're doing for my friend, you can do for me. And I'm seeing my friend in humility and hunger for you. Jesus, I want that same humility and hunger. I'm constantly being motivated and encouraged by all of you as I am in this place where I get to carry your burdens. You know, years and years ago, Maggie might not remember this, but I was like, honey, I know being married to a pastor is not easy because I've got crazy hours and the spotlight is always on our family, how we live and what we do. One of the things you realize being a pastor, you're kind of, you know, the cameras are always on. But I said, you know what I realized being a pastor? I'm a way better husband to you because I'm a pastor than I would be if I wasn't a pastor. Because you know why? Because I have journeyed with so many couples over 20-some years. And I'll come out of a time where it's all about the couple and they're crying and we're figuring out. And I'll come out and I'm like, dang, Chris, that was some pretty good advice you gave them. How about you do that with Maggie when you go home? How about you have that conversation with Maggie when you go home? And I'm constantly encouraged as I'm working with other couples to work with my wife. Sometimes, don't take this personal, right? But you all know, I mean, yeah, it's real, I'm, real talk. Sometimes I walk out, I'm like, I don't want to get there, so let's go, Chris. Get, get, get better as a husband. So, you know, right? And I'm telling you, my, what is my point? My point is this. I live, I live an extreme life of sharing the burdens of other people of helping people out of their sinful nature living, of being a Christian friend. And my testimony is that it works. It totally works. I can see, after 25 years, fundamental change in who I am. I feel like I am the richest person in the world. And of course that's subjective. How do, how do we know who's the happiest, whatever? But that's what I feel. Right? Last night, my wife went to our 25-year college reunion. I did not go. I'm not a big fan of those things. She represented the family. And, all, and she came back, and all, we were just lamenting how many friends are no longer with our friends in their marriage. And how many friends are like, how did you guys do it? How are you guys doing it? And I just want to say, it's Jesus, his spirit. It's our little puny efforts. And it's the community that you've put in our lives. I want to bring up Pastor, Youth Pastor Fedna, to share a story of, it just happened to him in this thing. Come on up. Bring it up, Pastor. Pastors being the best husbands. I agree with that. Um, yeah, so during the, um, the all-church retreat, I had a rough day and a half. I was going to ask my wife. Um, just a lot of different kind of issues, right? And so I went into the Saturday evening uh, session being really just frustrated and upset, not really wanting to be there, but we were blessed with uh, child care for Zakai for that session. So I'm like, you got to take advantage of this, bro. All right. So um, during the session, the, the worship was really great, and I, I was definitely feeling it. And then... Uh, Chris's sermon was, was really awesome, and there was a point where he started praying for uh, just the generational cycles 
uh, to be broken, right? And so as we're um, praying, I was like just flipping through just different images of folks in here who have broken cycles, right? So just m many of you all. And it froze on uh, Nefti. And so I'm like, oh, this is, this is pretty weird, all right? And then um, God was like, yeah, I want you to go to him and, and, and tell him to keep going. And so I'm like, I'm not in a good mood, <laughs> right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, God, I, I really, let me, let, me just, let me just soak it in. I'm, 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 I'm enjoying this. But then that, that previous Wednesday, I had, I had spoke, uh, spoken to the youth on the casting of the nets, how Peter didn't really have uh, a great attitude and, and response. And so he was like, uh, come on, bro, like, lead by example. And so I'm like, I'm like, all right. So then I get up, I walk to where I knew Nefti's uh, family was sitting, and he's kind of up front getting, getting prayer from Chris. So I was like, ah, he's good. You know, I, I was kind of thinking that, but then I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So I was just, just waiting while the worship music was playing. And then his son, uh, Nick, approached me, kind of, kind of emotional, uh, wanting, wanting some prayer. And so I'm like, oh, okay, God, you're doing something. And so I got to pray for Nick, and then Nick kind of walks out. And so I'm still chilling. He, and after he was up there with Chris for a minute. Um, and then uh, Nate walks in, kind of stands next to me. And I'm like, oh, this is crazy. And he was just like, man, I really, really enjoyed this service. Something along the lines of that. So I was like, all right, God, you have me here. Like, this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. And then um, and I kind of gathered both of them. Like, hey, man, I got a word from God for your dad. Would you guys come with me to pray for your dad? And then they're like, yeah, sure, let's go. So we kind of walk over to where uh, we see Nefti walking from. And... Um, yeah, I stopped Nefty. I'm like, hey, I got a word from God for you, and I you know, want to pray for you, and got your boys here. Because the, the, like, generational cycle, I just felt like it was, like, appropriate that they were there. Um, so, yeah, we all just, they started praying for, for Nefty. He started getting emotional, and then it kind of just, it just went down the line. The boys were kind of emotional. I don't cry at all, guys. You guys know me. I, never, right? But so I, 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 my, my first word comes out, and I start crying, and then so <laughs> Nefty's crying, and then my leg was like, was like twerking or something. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm like, man, I got to move my leg away from Nefty because I didn't want to like, you know. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it was just, it was a super powerful time. Uh, we hugged it out after that, and then, um, yeah, I just kind of walked away from that situation, kind of like, man, God, you. You had me here for this. My 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 retreat weekend was was about this moment. So. Did you hear all three factors in that? Right, Fedna, his his sinful nature was rising up. I'm mad. I don't want to be here. I, I just I just want to be by myself. And then all of a sudden, the spirit of God pursues him. Gives him this word for Nefty. But then the Spirit of God says, you got to take some effort. I need you to move. I need you to go pray with Nefty. He's like, I don't want to. There's a war there. So then God brings Nefty's first son to him. <laughs> and, then, and then he brings his second son to him. And then he's like, okay, i got to put some effort in. And he steps out of his comfort zone. And Fedna cries. <laughs> the Spirit of God hit his body. I mean... He has an experience of the realness and the love of God 
because the Spirit of God overcame the, the flesh and the nature, he put in a little bit of effort, and it all had to be in the, in the middle of his Christian friends. That wouldn't happen if he was just by himself and he walked out into the mountains, right? I'm feeling something from God, let me just walk out into the mountains. There's bears out in the mountain. There ain't Christian friends out in the mountain. <laughs> Worship team, come on back up here. Many of you are probably listening to this word and you're saying, I need to change aspects of myself. I've got to gain more self-control. I've got to work on my marriage. I've got to work on my parenting. I've got to work on these things, my anger. And you're probably going to default to what you did the last time you felt a conviction to change, which is, that's right, I've got to change. I've got to work on it with Jesus. That will probably last a day. If you're really amazing, it'll probably last three days. The scripture in Galatians 6 would tell you this. Whatever aspect that you need to change, make an intentional choice to go deeper with a Jesus-centered friend. A Jesus-centered friend. It means I'm going to choose God to step out to be more vulnerable with the Jesus centered friend about things in my life and ask them to help carry my burdens. I'm going to be more intentional about telling a Jesus-centered friend, I would like to help carry your burden. I'm going to choose to be more consistent. I'm going to choose, if you really believe the scripture, then investing in Jesus-centered friends is more essential to your life than more money. It is more essential to your life than more entertainment. We can get all fired up today, and we need to, but it's going to come down to week after week. I have a life group community, and I have an option on this night to have more entertainment or to be with my Christian friends in the spirit of Jesus. It is going to be like, oh, I have this option, or I could call my Jesus-centered friend and be vulnerable and ask for help. That is it. Let's go after the riches of friendship that Jesus offers. The riches that we have each other. If you feel an insecurity to go deeper with Jesus-centered friends, if you feel that like, oh, we're not exactly alike, you need to know that, that those kind of feelings that are keeping you from going deeper with Christian friends are, are from the devil. The devil is trying to keep us from intimacy with each other so that we will not be changed into the likeness of Jesus. Listen here to the end of our section. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Some of you have tried with a Christian friend and it didn't work on their end. The Lord is saying, find somebody else. Keep going and I will be with you. Do not give up. At the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. So right now as we worship, as we always do, but now hopefully it has even more meaning, as we worship, be open to the Lord, pushing you like Cyprus to go pray for somebody in this room, a word of strength and encouragement. Or be open to receiving a word from somebody. Or be open to just going to someone and giving them a hug and saying, I love you. 
And I want to go deeper with you. You're my friend. Let's help each other be rejoined. Stand with me, church. We worship God to receive his spirit. This is our time. You cannot do this with any other friends. That is what is so. We love all people that God puts in our lives, but we have to understand this is only with each other. Are those who love Jesus, all of us who are imperfect, we're a mess, we're in transition from styrofoam to sweet strawberries, we're somewhere in the middle. We get to worship Jesus together. There is freedom in this place. We're all in need of him and his spirit. And then we're all able to love each other, carry each other's burdens. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, meet us right now. Come, we need your spirit.